Buddies to the Disenfranchised Podcast, where that podcast all about those franchises of one, those films that fancy themselves full-fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after the first film. I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy. Uh, my usual uh, partner in crime since the beginning of this thing, Brett Wright, is not with us today. He uh, he crawled under his bed and hasn't come out since. I have it on good authority. As long as he's out by sunrise, we should be okay. Uh, but in his stead, our new co- our new third co-host, Tucker, is joining me. How's it going, bud? Hello, Steven. We doing all right, man? I was trying to combine mine and Brett's. Because so <laughs> mine's normally real low-key and his is. So I tried to... I'm doing great. Good. Yeah. I'm good. Glad and uh and of course we are the two of us not alone we do have a third with us today from the cast of cthulhu you might also uh remember him from our episode on national lampoon's loaded weapon one it's our good buddy jim roner jim welcome back i was just thinking about that movie the other day i i think actually i just think about that movie a lot to be honest with you I was going to say, from what I understood, that that was one that was near and dear to your heart. Yeah, specifically always the sequence of Bruce Willis on the beach where they just blow up his house yeah. because they have the wrong address. Um, <laughs> but no, that, that's that's a that's a weird it's a weird little movie. But we we're we're not here to relitigate that. That's a that's that's in the past. I think we've all moved past that. I I think so. Maybe we have. I don't know. I was honestly thinking about that movie the other day as well. So it, it's it's he, you know he comes out and he says. Looks like you missed the fireworks, Chief. The Chief says, looks like we're just in time for him. And they cut two fireworks going off in the sky. It's a very simple but very effective joke. Um, anyway, sorry. That's, that's no, the, the one that the one that I was listening to the uh, You Must Remember This series on the erotic 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, of course, the uh, the gratuitous beaver shot was what kind of popped <laughs> into my head as I was listening to that. So. Which I had never seen Basic Instinct to, li- really until like a few years ago. So I didn't as a kid, I didn't understand what that meant. Like, at right. All. Yeah, that I mean, I remember it talked about when I was younger, but I n- didn't end up seeing it until much later. I still haven't seen the movie. I've just seen that scene a few times. It, it's it's, a, it's I, when I used to do I do movies badly. We did I did a Paul Verhoeven. And so Basic Instinct was one of the I, I so I know I've seen it. I don't remember what my takeaway from it was. Um but anyway, no, we're here to talk about Lupita Nyong'o's um, Little Monsters, right? Right. Absolutely. Yes, that that is what. Oh, wait, hold on. Let me check my notes here. Oh, so apparently there was another Little Monsters movie made in 1989. That's what we're talking about today. Oh, um, did we all watch the wrong movie for this? Let me just call up the Wikipedia article real quick and kind of get a summary of of what's going on. (laughs) Okay, so Wikipedia says this is basically Beetlejuice meets Monsters, Inc. Hmm. Okay. With, uh, you know, some a smattering of... Things like uh, Nightbreed and um, Gremlins and ET, I would I would put it in there as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, Beetlejuice. Yeah, it's it's just a, a just a grab bag of references in this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and which is interesting because I I like I've I saw this movie a whole bunch when I was young and growing up. I and I, kind of revisiting it and realizing like the writers behind it are not like 
hack writers. I mean, that like they've they were the two writers are like they were responsible for like the, the Shrek franchise, Pirates of the Caribbean. Like they they ultimately went on to do like sizable, significant franchise things. Right. But everybody's got to start somewhere. Graham Yost started in Hey Dude before he got to Justified, so I guess they started here before they got to Johnny Depp. Yeah, I mean, yeah, again, you're right. Everyone kind of has to start somewhere, and I'm I'm looking back over there their uh, resume now this so literally it's this in 1989 and the next credited screenplay is 1992's aladdin <laughs> yeah, like i mean th- these 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 guys like actually made a mark on cinema which is really interesting because I, th- I feel like when we i mean because i i'm not even i don't even have the imdb page up now so the director's name can't think of it no he really didn't do it this is like the only feature film he directed because he was a visual effects and like title designer guy. Yeah. Richard Allen Greenberg was, <laughs> is the name of the filmmaker here. Yeah. He did visual effects in predator uh, previous episode, flash Gordon with your co-host James oh, yeah, McCormick yeah, yeah. was on that one. Um, but yeah, like he's, he's in a vis- he's a visual effects guy was doing uh, additional crew work until t- 2010. Like he's, he's still kicking around. He's still working, but like, or I guess was still working, but yeah, he's, he does this. He does an episode of Tales from the Crypt in 90. And then he does a movie called The Process in 2003. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's it. It's a documentary. So, yeah, that's that's it. That's that's his entire filmography there. I wonder if he gets invited to, to conventions me. and stuff. I, For his sake, I kind of hope so. <laughs> right. Because that's how a lot of the the people who do movies like this tend to uh, tend to make their money back. Because uh, these movies don't do a lot a lot in the way of business unfortunately so well apparently also because the i guess was it the distributor came into financial problems so they it yes. ultimately got sold um which is Best also written, yeah yeah so which is also reason why you can't buy the soundtrack either yeah um but they they do have from what i understand they do like you know film screenings of it occasion like it, it is it is like many movies that i'm sure you've discussed on the show like it's it has no real cultural impact. And yet it still is enough where some people are like, like maybe like, Oh I, yeah, I want to talk. Of course I want to talk about that movie. Are you kidding me? Right. And that's, and that's, yeah, that, that is kind of a weird space for us is that there's, there's not much of a cultural footprint writ large, but within a certain subset of people, like, and there are movies like that, like movies that just do not exist outside of like a handful of very niche people who like grew up on that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, you know, I throw out a movie, and I know Tucker knows this one because he and I have discussed this movie before, but uh, a movie like The Buttercream Gang, which is a movie that, like, <laughs> who the hell knows what that movie is, except for, me. like, pe- people like me who grew up in a very conservative Midwestern um, community, and Tucker, who's seen probably just about anything as long as it had a VHS release. The Buttercream That is true. Yeah, there was a sequel to the Buttercream Gang, so unfortunately, we can't cover it on the we'll main feed. We'll never cover it, rats. <laughs> I want oh, to though. Darn. I want to real bad. I something tells me that gonna... it holds up. It really does. It's good times. Whenever we decide on what your Patreon show is going to be, something tells me you're going to find a find a reason for us to talk Buttercream Gang. It's <laughs> honestly you're enough. We could probably talk about it on an Upsal Christianity Corner episode on the behind the. Oh yeah, too. it's it's from one of the not focus on the family, but it's from one of those Jesus movie groups. It is, but yeah. it's not it's not overtly religious though. It's kind of like early Veggie Tales, where they just kind of like nudge you in the right direction instead of hit you over the head with it. 
Right, as opposed <laughs> to the later Veggie Tales, which are you know, yes. we're going to dress our our characters up in overt biblical pastiches, but still do completely anachronistic things like throw slushies over walls and things. So, oh, Veggie Tales! Oh, Veggie Tales! What what are you doing? Uh, I hear the creator is like uh, really awesome on Twitter, though. So every once in a while, I got to look up the the cheeseburger song because that's that's a bop, the one where he's in the drive through. Yeah, and he's singing about his cheeseburger. I may or may not remember all the lyrics to that song. My oh, nice. My first exposure to it was um, Larry singing "Where Is My Hairbrush." Ooh, that's oh, a good one too. That's a bop. Yeah. yeah. Um, water was... buffalo was mine. Everybody's got a water buffalo. That was my first exposure. Fair enough. Anyway, was... what does this all have to do with Lupita Nyong'o? Um. I'm sure I'm sure look given 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 a long enough timeline I'm sure we'll figure something out <laughs> with six degrees of Lupita Nyong'o um, we will tangent our way to it so actually what so what we are talking about today is not the 2019 Australian film Little Monsters although maybe maybe someday uh but no what what instead we're talking about is the 1989 Richard Allen Greenberg film Little Monsters starring Fred Savage Howie Mandel Ben Savage, the boy who would meet world, um, Daniel Stern, Margaret Witten, Frank Whaley, Rick the Great, Rick Ducommon, uh, Amber Barreto, Devin Rattray, and uh, William Murray Weiss. What a cast, gentlemen. What a picture. What a cast indeed. Yes, I, I, the, the, I believe the on screen debut of young Ben Savage as well. Correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, he who would meet world one day. Um, he was um, he was the baseball playing or the basketball playing monster, and he's made up exactly like Maurice. And like I always noticed that even when I was a little kid, where people act like that's a big secret thing. Like they show him for like a good five seconds. You're like, oh, what is Ben Savage a monster all of a sudden? Yeah, <laughs> clearly. It always it always confused me as a kid because it's clearly him. Mm hmm. Yeah, you think they do a better job of like hiding that or I I know another savage child is which sounds awful to say but the last name is Savage. Um is feral is, children in this movie. Oh, no. Is is another one of the the little monsters, the titular Yeah, their little sister, monsters. their sister yeah. plays like two or three different like background monsters. Is she the one that tells her brother that he has a nice ass? I hope not. Same. <laughs> for for so many reasons i hope that's not the case <laughs> um yeah this movie is unhinged um i i have never had any exposure to this movie prior to this morning like Wowzers. i did i knew this movie existed i remember seeing like the targeted advertisements for it in the in the late 80s I uh, never watched it ever i heard it was bad and also i was again the type of uh, conservative religious person who uh, if a movie had monsters in it, I wouldn't go see it because that was all evil and a, a gateway to Satanism. Because uh, <laughs> Satanic panic, yes. Um, so no, never engaged with this movie until earlier this morning. Um, had some fun, but it showed its age for sure. Uh, and of course, you know, now that you, once you've seen everything it's it's referencing, you're like, oh, okay, I've seen this movie 20 times already. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Jim, you're the one that selected Little Monster. You kind of put your chips down on Little Monsters early. Um, what what is it about Little Monsters? Um, what why this movie? When did tell us about your history with it? 
So four letters uh, that's probably only going to mean much to people who grew up in the New York, New Jersey area. Uh, WPIX, um, local channel 11, which was a channel that on Saturday, but mostly Sunday afternoons would just play a random um, motley collection of 80s and 90s movies, you know, for just a, I'm sure it was some type of like showcasing or programming, like such and such sponsors, whatever. But it was really just like Sunday afternoons, like, you know, after I came home from church and, you know, had the longest possible time before I had to go back to more church. It was just kind of like, what have I got to do other than just kind of relax? My obligations for the week are done. Maybe I would have had some homework to do, but really I'm just kind of chilling and spending time doing whatever. So mostly I just plopped in front of the TV. Um, and so they would play random stuff like Iron Eagle, like one through three, basically, or Dolph Lundgren's Punisher or nice. um, what are some other ones like, you know, um, Hot Shots or like, you know, stuff which is sort of, you know, we talk about movies that don't have a huge cultural impact, but still were like kind of out there. Basically, it kind of felt like a grab bag of like whatever we have the, the money that we can provide the rights to, we'll do it. And so Little Monsters was one of them. and. I I don't remember ever first seeing it like there it's funny how you know there are so many movies even like some of my favorite movies that have left such an indelible impact on me I don't really recall them for the first time they're just like as oh as far as back as I can remember these have just been part of my consciousness and Little Monsters is one of those but I think based on the premise um I think what it was is it was kind of a wish fulfillment thing as a kid. I mean, the the general premise is this kid, you know, played by Fred Savage, discovers a magical world in which basically there are no rules. He can do whatever he wants to do. He can, you know, eat candy. He can play video games. He can, you know, go into people's houses and cause mischief. And just there are no consequences to them aside from, you know, turning into a a monster himself. But it, it was sort of like this this fantasy element of just like, wow, I, I want to do that. Like I want to have, like I want to live in this world that has no rules. And it was also just, it was funny, but it was also kind of scary. Like it's the kind of scary that for a kid is like tolerable. That is sort of like, here's a gateway into horror, but kind of masking it in, in humor really. Mm. Uh, I mean, but especially that showdown at the end, like after boy gets his face ripped off, like these are kind of like, like horrific kind of scary images. I mean, monsters is in the title, but also it's so fun at the same time. Um, And and then like, I knew, you know, I knew Fred Savage because I watched the wonder years growing up. Certainly I knew Daniel Stern because it was a huge, like, you know, I watched home alone every year as a kid. Like these were familiar faces to me, Howie Mandel. Like, even though I, even if I didn't recognize it, I watched Bobby's world. So I knew how he Mandel's voice. Like he was a, a, a literal voice in my childhood. So there was just a, a weird kind of amalgamation of all these factors that were kind of getting me into this movie that whenever it was on TV, I would throw it on and like watch it, of course. And like, there, there are so many images which are still in my head, you know, how he Mandel is like a, a, a collapse, like pile of clothes talking to Fred Savage. The one time like that, you know, uh, his, his brother's friend like shines a flashlight in his hand and like his hand goes away. Um, the pumpkin headed monster, like popping his head open and like laughing when they're trying to scare the little baby. And just like all, all this stuff was like, and plus like, you know, he eventually works up the gall to like, he pranks the bully and like, you know, embarrasses the bully. It was just all this kind of stuff as a kid. Like, yeah, I wish that I could do that, but I'll never be able to. So instead I'll just sit here and watch this movie instead. Um, 
little yeah. bit of fantasy escapism for you. Yeah, it's certainly well, like fantasy escapism, but also like kind of a a. This is a movie that has like a mythology in it. You know, they don't dig into too many details, but like you really do get the sense that like this world of monsters, like it has rules that are understandable. I knew what the stakes were. I knew like at the end, they have to get back before sunrise or else he's going to be stuck down there and he's going to be a monster for the rest of his life. You know, the things that don't make sense in retrospect, like, okay, so why are these monsters doing it? Like they're just kind of scaring people because, but you know, the, the design of the, of the world itself, like how there's these, stacked pallets and wooden bridges and just kind of felt like almost sort of like the lost boys from peter pan where sort of like yeah look at this look at this paradise but of course this paradise has a dark underbelly which is like you spend too much time here you are going to become one of us Mm -hmm. it it just it was a world that felt like it was fully fleshed out while i couldn't express that as a kid looking back and it's like yeah this was like there was a world here that it's the best kind of world like it's a, a weird equivalent to make but almost sort of like mad max fury road where it's like you know that if we wanted to tell you a story about those weird people with walking on stilts in the desert, we could, but we're not going to tell you. That's just window dressing for this larger universe that, I don't know, maybe these monsters have been living in for what centuries, maybe. I don't know. Like, what is it like your, your, your mind conjures so many questions that like, I, I, I'm still obviously thinking about this movie like 30 years later. So it left some type of an impression on me. Yeah. It's, it's done. It's done some kind of a good job for, for its part. I would say the world building is one of the things I think maybe my favorite thing about this movie, mm-hmm. uh, the internal consistency of the world holds up, I think mm-hmm. fairly well. Um, some of the other things, maybe not as much. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about some of those, I'm sure. Uh, Tucker, when did you first engage with Little Monsters? What has been your history with it? Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Well, I was aware of this film when it came out. Uh, I would have been around seven years old when it came out. And a couple years later, when it was on HBO, we had a free weekend, like you did back in the day on cable. They'd give you a free weekend of the paid channels. As if you and, know, to, uh, to show you all the great programming you too can get for just, you know, dollars a month, <laughs> like $50 a month in 1989 money. When it came on the free weekend, I taped it off of TV and I watched it a whole bunch. I would say that it was probably my favorite movie in between the ages of around nine and 12. Okay. And I think it was not only was it a gateway to horror for me. I think it it, uh, it probably wasn't the only thing that that shoved me in that direction, but it was definitely a big a big influence, especially boy man, boy's scary as hell. Like, even before he takes his face off, dude is unsettling. Mm-hmm. And uh, homeboy from the Burbs, Rick DeCommon, um, Rick, Rick yeah. DeCommon, yeah, rest in peace. He's, yes, may yeah, he, may he ever. Is, yes, he's great. I think the cast is amazing in this movie, and I think the special effects are top notch. Um, another thing that it was a, it was a gateway for music for me too. Cause that talking Heads song at the end. That's right. Uh, yeah. Got so, me into talking heads. For real. So weird that my first exposure to the talking heads was little monsters and movies. Nobody has <laughs> yes, seen. Yes. I mean, and, and David Byrne did like soundtracks for Jonathan Demi movies. Like <laughs> the man did. And, but it's a little because of, because again of the age that we are, it makes sense that this movie would be the, the, the gateway to the talking heads for a lot of us. Um, not no, for me, but yeah. I don't think that I had seen it 
probably since I was 12 years old until I watched it today. I, I think about it often and I reference it often, but I hadn't, I hadn't actually watched it until today. And I'd say a good 60% of it holds up for me. The beginning was really rough because his parents hate each other and the way that they talk to him when they're mad at him, you can see like Fred Savage, like learning that and being the same way towards people at school. And that's kind of fucked up. I think uh, the family relationships are a little fucked up sometimes in that movie. Um, it didn't age well for me. Uh, but other than that, I still, I had, I had an okay time. I don't think it's something that I'm going to watch all the time, but I might come back to it like every five years or so now that I've seen it again after so long, after about 30 years. When's the last time you visited with this one, Jim? I'm going to say it's been, <clears throat> let me see, what am I, 38 now? It's probably been 10, 15 years. Okay. Um, long enough where I didn't realize until today when I was doing research on this, like, oh, that's Frank Whaley uh, as boy. Like, no, yes. I, I, I love Frank Whaley. And I, I had like no, no concept that that was him, even though I was exposed to Frank Whaley early on because of John Hughes's Career Opportunities, which is a movie that I have quite a fondness for. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, it, it was just, it was such an indelible part of my childhood. And like, it's got real imagination to it. Like, I mean, I don't want to hit upon it again, but like this, this is a, a, a world that people took the time to kind of like, build out basically you can almost i mean you know streamers these days are, are desperate for content really and I, I could i would roll my eyes at it but i could almost kind of see someone picking up like we're, we're gonna make a mini series or we're gonna make a series out of little monsters like it's gonna be different different shenanigans with different monsters like along the way you know different parts of the country like you you could imagine someone building on this world because there seems to be enough i don't want to say enough material there but you can imagine someone like taking the ball and running with it just because it's 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 a movie that couldn't get made nowadays of because it's a, a hard to define movie in terms of genre, but that has imagination, but which is a mixtures of genres, which, but it's also not based on anything. Right. Um, it's, it's also, a... you know, Howie Mandel was a, was a draw for people at, at, one, at one point, which is a strange thing to think about, but that's like the, the, the three year span where Howie Mandel was a draw. Mm -hmm. Um, like it's it's this and it's Bobby's world, and then he just kind of like recedes quietly into the night until Deal or No Deal and America's Got Talent. So don't don't forget Walk Like a Man. I I have forgotten Walk Like a Man. <laughs> I, I, you say that and I'm not even entirely sure what that is. So he, I, bl I believe he's a, a caveman that or, or like a, a Neanderthal. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up now. That sounds like a very uh, very nuanced uh, portrayal. Uh, you know. With oh, a okay. Lot of subtlety. Okay. Walk like a man, starring Christopher Lloyd uh, and Howie Mandel and Cloris Leachman. Um, a boy raised, yes, a boy raised by wolves is reunited as an adult with his real family. Okay. Um, <laughs> his character's name is Bobo Shand, apparently. Correct. Uh, he's also in the uh, the TV show that we were referencing before we started recording, Saint Elsewhere. It, oh, okay, I didn't realize that. So yeah, he and that's where he and Denzel Washington and Ed Begley Jr. all got their starts. So wonderful, and the voice of Gizmo, of course. Of course, the voice of Gizmo. 
Um, and forever, a bunch of you know, a bunch of the Gremlins movie. too. Him and Frank Welker did a majority of the Gremlins in both films too. I was gonna say I think it was mostly Welker for the for the actual like well, Gremlins, I, but uh, the Dead Meat podcast last week serendipitously uh, interviewed Howie Mandel, and he spoke about uh, little monsters, but he also spoke about Gremlins, obviously, and he was talking about um, most of the Gremlins in the bar scene mm-hmm. are him. Okay. And basically in the second one, him and Welker would just like take turns, like doing a voice for something. And then they decide which one they liked best. And then they'd use that one. And then so. Tony Randall came in to do brain gremlin. Cause yeah. well, yeah, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta have Tony Randall doing a, a very weird South African accent for that, for that particular character. <laughs> you gotta fancy that one up a bit. Right. Um, here's, here's something else, which has, always even as a kid fascinated me about little monsters is the question because not everything was resolved at the end of this movie as weird as it sounds i don't think everything is resolved because the question still remains is what do the monsters do now that their leadership is dead and that might sound kind of like you know i'm taking the piss or whatever but like really like brian gets to go home he's reunited with his family but the last shot is like of maurice just kind of like he's like his friend is now gone They're like what what happens to these monsters Do they keep on going on scaring people like that seems kind of like like pointless because you you kind of get the impression that it was these two tyrannical actually like monstrous creatures who kind of ran the place and was like because the the idea is like they are these people are all monsters because they were kids once who were turned into monsters right so if that imperative is gone what happens to this like this kingdom this group like what do they do now and and like i i don't you know i don't want to necessarily get too emotional about it but it's like yeah what like their hierarchy their kind of imperative not imperative but like their their hierarchy their mission is like gone us like what becomes of them because and especially like maurice and and brian's relationship can't con because like if he spends time down there like or or is it what what is it is it was it boy and and what is the name snicked Snick, um yeah Snick that like is it was it their influence that turned kids into the monsters is it this underground kingdom that does it like how i, I don't know like a friendship development i'm also kind of wondering like how how what happens afterwards like this is it's all well and good for brian but like what about maurice because like maurice was a person at one point that had things that he wanted and that he cared about like what happens now it's it's i'm curious well i'd say the u.s military gets involved u.s military gets involved because they have to fill the power vacuum (laughs) so they're going to install a puppet government in the monster world Mm. uh, probably put someone they could control maybe howie mandel at the head of it of course um you know and and it'll go very chill and very normal and there will be no oppression and no need for uh, escalating conflict and it'll be great Mm -hmm. as as is historically happens with the united (laughs) states military um, sorry, Tucker. I just, I had to get that joke out before I completely forgot it. <laughs> That's sorry, okay. Man. I was going to say my big question is like, what's to stop any kid from just like going under their bed and being like, oh shit. Uh, and also like that also leads me to think like, why can't, so you get old enough to where you're like, well, I'm old enough. I don't want to grow old anymore. I'm let's say 25, 30. I'm going to hop under my bed and be immortal in the monster world like why can't you do that also maybe i missed something in this viewing but why 
do Maurice and Fred Savage have to not see each other again? Why can't he just come visit like Maurice come visit? Well, I here's the thing. I, I don't I'm not saying that that's definitely the conclusion I that I've drawn. It's more of a question because like, well, no, that's what it implies in the film. They have a big, long, tearful goodbye. Like, but they're then, never going to see but each then other the last again. thing he says is where there's a bed, there's a way. So just the the idea yeah. is that, you know, we could put and I think that's one of the things that leaves the door open for a sequel here is, you know, hey, we'll figure it out if this movie does well enough. Spoiler alert, it doesn't um, that we'll we'll be able to, you know, jerry rig a sequel out of this thing. Well, I in- love the fact that anything that someone sleeps on counts as a bed. Like they come up <laughs> under that lawn chair on the beach. <laughs> yep. Brilliant. Or like when he unfolds the hide a bed and the yeah. couch perfect so, so that is such a great because he's cut the legs off all the beds so no one can get in but then he forgot about the hide a bed so yeah but i love then, it in theory then like they could also be a monster in the closet because of those the the beds that come out of the wall kind of a thing oh the murphy bed yeah the murphy bed that's what the name of it is um yeah uh, and, and well because I, I referenced like the 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 production design and kind of being like the lost boys I mean, think about like, I guess their their friendship could continue, but Maurice is going to keep coming back and Brian's going to keep aging mm-hmm. and it, it's going to be like, did you guys ever do an episode on Hook? I would look, I l- fucking love that movie and everybody should Hulk? Uh, Hook. 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 Not Hook. yet. No, uh, um, we've, we've not touched Hook yet. One I, day maybe. I love that movie Let's and I think it. it's yeah. unfairly criticized, I think, but the, the, you know, so sorry, Tucker, I'll, I'll finish and then we'll, no, we'll no, get, no, please. Um, please. But that, I get excited. Go ahead. You know, that idea of Peter Pan kept coming back, but Wendy kept aging. Right. And that's what's going to happen here. Like if Brian's going to continue to be a person like, sure, Maurice can keep going back, but he's going to watch his friend like age, decay and die. That's where we pick it up now, though. Maybe it's his kids or maybe it's it's Eric's kids. Right. Like Maurice just kind of becomes like the family monster. <laughs> um, entirely possible. But Tucker, what, what were you what were you thinking? Oh, no, it was it was an unnecessary tangent. I will briefly touch on it and then we will move on. Sure. I just want to say that every time I watch Hook, I like the actual film less, but I will never not watch it because that is Dustin Hoffman's best performance. Him and, and Bob Hoskins in that movie. Holy shit. Bob Hoskins is that movie. I, I, I stand Bob Hoskins and Hook. And listen, I think if you have a premise of what if Peter Pan grew up, your casting doesn't get better than Rob Williams. That is perfect mm-hmm. casting for that. Like there, there right. was so much goodness in that movie and people always write it off like, Oh, it's Spielberg's daddy issues. Spielberg had always fucking had daddy issues. In I all was going to say for the first as, 20 years, like yeah. stop it. And, and of course his latest film, the Fablemans, is daddy issues, the movie. So, <laughs> um, but sorry, that that's, that's neither here nor there, but yeah, I, I mean, no, you're, you're, there is something that's interesting about that. And I guess maybe there even is that idea too of like, yeah, hey, Brian, it's good to see you got kids. Although, of course, uh, um, uh, Fred Savage is now. I, I was about to say canceled, but that's like people have now taken that word and mean like been. But you know, uh, Fred, Fred Savage is not exactly the most popular person in in Hollywood these days. Um, Tucker, were you not aware of that? Uh, no, I'm. I didn't realize that he had done something bad. Uh, I was going to say that if you want to hang out with Fred Savage, just watch an episode of like any comedy series that's on TV. <laughs> yeah, no, because um, he directs literally everything. Fred Savage recently resigned from, I, I think it was the the Wonder Years um, remake that he was helping produce. Mm-hmm. 
um, because of, I believe, sexual harassment. No. Yeah. No. And, and, and like, appa- like apparently like a repeated pattern of abuse, like over Gross. the years. So Gross. Um, yeah. Damn so Fred. Yeah. Don't don't. Now, Ben Savage, as far as we know, still OK. As far as we know. <laughs> I mean, meeting the world will do that to you. Um, <laughs> no, sure, of course. Um, and I no. think Fred Fred Savage was missing one key thing that Ben Savage had, and that was the influence of Mr. Feeney in his life. Um, he didn't get to talk to Kit all the time. That's right. No, that's a good point. Or um, John John Adams, for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, maybe there is something of like, you know, Maurice's cut, like, or maybe it's even been a long time and Maurice finally comes back and maybe they do bring this up. Like, yeah, ever since like what you guys did, like you freed us, but like it's, it's, it's chaos. Like no one knows like how, how do they, yeah. Cause I just kind of wonder like, what do these monsters do now? Like, um, yeah, it, it's, 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 it's an interesting, cause I mean, monsters Inc. Like the arc there is like, well, you know, screams aren't doing it. So we're now we're making kids laugh and we're bringing joy into the world kind of thing. Like, I don't, you don't want to see it go in that direction, but you do like they, these monsters had an existence and like a plan for it that you have to imagine is like, that's what sustained them for years and years and years. And now that's gone. So what happens, what becomes of them? I think that's one of the things that Pixar does particularly well. That is one of the things this movie doesn't do or isn't interested in is the why behind the what yeah. like the monsters do crawl out from under beds and they do scare kids, but there's no real reason behind it. I think the Pixar kind of tying in like an energy crisis is really smart storytelling, mm-hmm. but it also paves the way for a happy ending where you can kind of tie up that loose end. Well, if we're not scaring kids, how are we going to get the power? Well, laughter is even more powerful. So now we're just making them laugh and that becomes kind of the reversal at the end. That's really clever this movie, there's no reason that the monsters are scaring. They just do because chaos is their imperative. Why? Because boy is a chaotic leader, we 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 suppose. And maybe an even more chaotic leader will rise up in his stead. Who knows? Maybe we get like a, a Gozerite or Gozerian or something um, rising up after, after boy. Because again, there's a power vacuum there and it's going to get filled. Um, so, but, but what does that look like? Is it more, is it, more of the same, same shit, different day, or is it like a new, more terrifying direction? Are they, are they arch now? Is there like, is Maurice going to lead like a band of freedom fighters? Like, I don't know. And I don't know what version of that movie I want to see, quite frankly. I I'm almost thinking like, because well, in, in, I, I think if we, if we dig too deep into it, which we are doing, um, why are thinking mo- things on a podcast? Surely why? not. <laughs> white men don't do that no stop it. <laughs> um, um but if we if we really dig into it like so the 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 lore is that these monsters were once kids and the kids became monsters so you kind of get the idea of like why do they do that like well it's because it's mischief it's because it's chaos it's because that's what kids are into so when they become monsters that's just the mode that they're in in like in for um what i would be curious about and maybe this is this gets a little bit too nebulous, but even like, okay, so what is the, what is the force that the magic or what have you, that kind of transforms a kid into a monster? Maybe that since boy and Snick died, that thing is now kind of like been let loose. Like, Hey, now this thing is out of control. Now kids are either being snatched left and right. 
um, this thing is kind of like, you know, there was there was an order. There was a thing like the you know, the, there was a, a method like we kind of had, you know, I don't want to get into two factory of it. But like, you know, we we did this. We kind of perpetuated the the society, what have you. Or you go the opposite direction and where Maurice is like, hey, it's great to see you. Like all my friends are kind of dying out, like because now monsters, because because of media, because of society, like no one's afraid of monsters on their bed anymore. So like now it's just like, yeah, it's, it's lonely down here. Like, you know, the, the, the one little insect monster with had all the multiple arms, like, and there's a, a brat in Cleveland an infinite Atlanta and a twerp in Boston. Like that, like she's gone now because right. like she's, the magic is gone. There's nothing like restocking like our, our friends down here. So like I've, we're, we're seeing like, and, and you mentioned, um, Nightbreed, like, yeah, Hey, we're, we're seeing the end of us. And that's a, that's a bad thing. Um, you know, and maybe, maybe that's a little bit too dark. I mean, this is clearly a kid's movie. I think what I've just described is, I, I guess someone could make it into a kid's movie, but it's more of sort of like the, you know, I'm describing me as a writer as yes, I grew up with this. And now that I'm older, what's the, what's the revisionism or, or kind of like the, the cynicism that I'm bringing to it as a more cynical adult kind of a thing. But there, there is something about like something kickstarted this society I want to know more about that kind of a thing. Right. 400 years ago too. Cause Maurice mm-hmm. says he's 400 years old. Well, I yeah. mean, he's 11, but <laughs> he's been around for 400 years. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm. so like back in the 1600s or even before them, because I'm sure Maurice isn't even close to being the oldest monster. No. So who knows how long it's been going on, how it started. I do love their system of travel, though. And I do love, I think one of the most clever parts of the movie is the ending where they're running west to beat the sun. Mm-hmm. They, they literally run really across clever. the entire country in a matter of hours. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's, I would even say it's minutes because, I mean, you don't have to go far. I mean, they shot it in a cement factory. So however big a cement factory is, that's <laughs> how far you're going to have to go. And and another question, is this just the United States chapter? Could you run to like Bangladesh or something? They do mention you know? the kid does mention running to Hawaii. So, uh, But that's that's the United States. It's not the continental United States. But it's, yeah, it's not the contiguous United States, though, which means that there is a tra- there is travel under underwater or something like that, which is. Mm-hmm. That is that is that's <laughs> sparks a lot when, of questions. When Todd enters, he he calls it a parallel dimension. So we're not mm-hmm. it's not it's not literally underground. It's the for whatever reason, the dimensional gateways are all for 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 one reason or another located under things we sleep on. And anything that anyone is sleeping on or can sleep on becomes a bed through, you know, movie logic and magic logic. The magic is not particularly well defined uh it's just like oh it's magic oh how do we explain this thing oh it's magic um what does that look like i don't know whatever we needed to plot (laughs) like it's you know it, it, it is the thing that propels the plot forward this movie i think for me exists at this kind of weird intersection between kids movies in the 80s and kids movies in the 90s and I think it it's kind of like the right in between movies like Gremlins and the Goonies and movies like Home Alone. Like mm-hmm. it, it exists kind of in this weird tension between those two extremes. And it's really, really weird. 
I always um, thought it would be a, a good uh, double feature with Drop Dead Fred, with Drop Dead Fred being the second mm. film that you watch, obviously. Because, I mean, you guys are saying that they were supposed to scare the kids, but what I've always gotten from it is that they were just supposed to cause mischief that the kids got blamed for. That always mm, seemed to yeah. be kind of their main goal, except for the baby, which I think is like, even when I was a kid, I was like, yo, that's fucked up. Which I mean, Fred, Fred Savage agrees with you in that moment. Fred yeah. Savage is like, yo, that's fucked up. Dude, that's <laughs> fucked up. And, and also, this is like, word. This is a kid's movie, but there is some fucked up shit that happens in this movie. Oh, yeah. And you're like, oh, you know, for kids, like talking about pleasuring himself and um popping heads off and throwing yeah, them like in baskets twisting heads off and chucking them in baskets and like in that way it feels very much like an 80s movie because post home alone you don't you don't really see that in kids movies as much anymore no. speaking like of home, home alone like you've got year after you've got both daniel stern and um and buzz is in this movie devin Rattray, <laughs> yeah <laughs> whoa yeah. Who is yeah. who is also, I think, his own brand of terrible person now, from what I am given to understand. So probably, oh, yeah. I, I don't think that surprises me. Um, he was he was on the uh, the Amazon Tick uh, as well, but yeah, from what I understand, he is. I like that one. He is also not not great, not a great person now. So um, I'll also I'll also never forget the euphemism that this movie made up for a brazier, which is an over the shoulder boulder holder, right? Um, which. I've, I've never heard anyone refer to it before that, and I've never heard anyone refer to it after that, but I will never forget it for some well, reason. I don't, I don't, I don't want to ruin it for you, but that, that's something that I had heard quite a bit before and have heard after. Maybe oh, it's a Midwestern thing. Oh, that maybe, okay. That, I, I guess I could see that. Cause yeah, that was never a thing like growing up. But then again, I grew up in an evangelical household, so we just didn't talk about bras. So that could be why maybe um, my neighbors might've been, calling them that from sun from sun up to sundown um, <laughs> all day all day all they talked about all day all night just over yeah. the shoulder boulder holders yeah. Honey, can, I, dawn. can i get the credit card i need to go buy some over the shoulder boulder holders <laughs> um, uh, but you you had mentioned something which i i sparked in me another reason that i i, I was attached or, or that i was drawn to this movie as a kid was um it, it sort of answered i'm putting in air quotes but this idea of like you know what happens to the lost stuff that you have when you lose it as a child like i've lost a soccer i've lost my favorite toy the actual answer being like i left it at the park maybe or it's in the bottom of a closet somewhere or it accidentally got thrown out or it's at the laundromat whatever um but this idea of instead like no some something took that and that's mm -hmm. why you're never going to get it back reminded me of like when i was a kid and like I, I had a very overactive imagination as a kid so i always imagined that if you've lost something what happened that there was this little ghost who found it for some reason, this ghost looked a lot like count Chocula um, <laughs> and, and um, the ghost would like take it home and tell his mom, like, look what I found. And his mom would say, that's not yours. Bring it back. So from the duration from when you lost the thing to when you found it again was the exact amount of, of, of the trip that it took for this little ghost to go home, show his mom and his mom tell him, no, go and put that back where you found it. And so, and so it, it just, this movie answers the idea of like, hey, all that stuff that like goes missing, where does it go? Like the monsters are fucking with it. Obviously that's what happens. They must have tons of guitar picks then. <laughs> um, a bunch of my umbrellas too. Um, yeah. Socks, you know. underwear, um, mm -hmm. mostly socks and underwear. Let's be honest. Yeah. All of my pog slammers. <laughs> <laughs> that, my my that jacks, my jack collection. Oh man, my tiddlywinks. 
Pogs. That was a moment in time, wasn't it? Pogs. That was that's sure a was. very specific. I think of Pogs and I think of the the two other things that were in the cultural zeitgeist around that time. Um Looney Tunes and mm. OJ Simpson. I for whatever reason, those three things are like uniquely crystallized together in my brain. And I can usually think of one without the other two, except if it's Pogs, and Pogs immediately conjures the other two. Um Pogs to just think of flea markets because that's where I'd always go to buy more pogs was flea markets. Me too. Liberty Bell. <laughs> flea market. Mine, mine was a, uh, the VFW parking lot in Franklin Lakes, New Jersey. That, that, was, that nice. was where I went. I, I had to go to the mall and like spend an arm and a leg getting them from like Spencer's Gifts or some shit. And I, I, I bought so many pogs and slammers. And do you know how many pogs games I played? Zero. Never played any. No, you didn't play. It was about collecting. Yeah. That was it. Yeah, because they were all going to be worth something someday. Exactly. I had the Star Wars customizable card game, and I, I think I maybe played two games of that. But mm-hmm. no, I just wanted all those cards, man. I wanted all to see all my favorite Star Wars characters and vehicles and uh, devices and weapons and ships and all that. That's what I wanted. That's what I yep. wanted. Yep. But so forget anyway. forget all the, the rest of that nonsense. So yeah, Little Monsters. <laughs> Um, 1989's Little Monsters. Um, one thing, uh, Howie Mandel, um, one reason I think a sequel probably would not have worked, although he seems very into it now, uh, Howie Mandel, um, has been fairly vocal, particularly recently about his struggles with OCD and ADHD, um, had a hell of a time with the makeup. Uh, he'd have to sit still for four hours and be touched, uh, things that were very difficult for him. Um, and he said that by the end, he like couldn't touch latex. Like he just can't wear latex anymore because of all the latex that was surrounding him. It would take four hours to put on every day and then an hour to take off every day. Um, and he said it was just absolutely miserable. He never wanted, he, he didn't wear a condom ever after that, which I mean, I guess he was in a committed relationship where that wasn't an issue. So whatever, but <laughs> um but yeah, like that was just like no, no more latex for Howie Mandel. And it's all thanks to Little Monsters. So when the Savage Brothers were interviewed by some publication last year and said, hey, we want to do a sequel to Little Monsters and Howie Mandel retweeted it with, hey, I'm in. Um, okay. Does, is he just that hard up for work? Or Well, he also on the podcast I listened to last week, he also mentioned how painful it was to take off. He said Mm. that he would literally, his skin would be red. And at some points he would bleed because like the glue was so, so strong. Yeah. And he'd pull, pull the latex off and just like skin would just come off with it. Because it's not, it's not just, you know, it's not your daddy's spirit gum. Like it's, it's actually a lot more intense than that. Um, I mean, there's, you know, there's advancements that they've made in that sort of stuff. And I, I mean, even they could do the, you know what Ray finds it with Voldemort where you just have the kind of like the points on the face and then you kind of CGI something onto him after the fact, like they could, they could work around. Yeah. I think now they would definitely do that, but like, yeah, I, mm. so yeah, at the time I don't see them doing a sequel to this. And if they do, they find some way to make Howie Mandel look at least passively human by the end of that movie for a good chunk of it. Kind of like, uh, the uh, the Jennifer Lawrence mystique thing by the by the last movie she just like I think there's yeah, one refused. perfunctory shot of her mm-hmm. in the green ma- or in the blue makeup and it's it's mostly like CGI'd on and it was um, probably like a reused shot from one of the other films <laughs> yeah <laughs> honestly given what I know about that last film yes all of that accurate yeah big damn yikes on that one um but uh but yeah that's I mean so yeah again another reason 
why this movie probably would never have gotten uh, a sequel. Another reason this movie would never have gotten a sequel. God, the box office was just horrid <laughs> on this one. Like yeah. no real box office to speak of. I think this movie makes just a little over half a million domestic Oof. or no, not half a million. I'm sorry. No, no, that's right. Half a million. It's like $542,000 domestic. Oof, and that's the 1989 money. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it, it does not, it like, yeah, it does that doesn't not even, even cover the effects budget on that movie. No, no, it doesn't at all. Um, Golly. does not even rank in the top 12 movies that came out that weekend. Let me, <laughs> that weekend. Oh, God. It, it sucks because I, I don't think it's a great movie, but you can tell that a lot of people put a lot of work into this movie. It, like a lot, a lot. There's a lot of effort in this movie on the technical very, side. Very labor of lovey, honestly. It does. Mm. Those effects are top notch, man. They're good. Top notch. They're good. Um, hang on. I am trying to nail down the... Um, and I know we got to... I know we got to get you out of here pretty soon here, Jim. So I'm going to try to, I'm looking up a couple different box offices here to try to Mm -hmm. pinpoint, see what I can find here. While you're doing that, we'll mention that um, Fred Savage and Daniel Stern were also, even though they weren't on screen together, they were both part of the Wonder Years as well. Hmm? Correct. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And that's why kind of the family feels very like Savage inside baseball, because you got the Savage brothers. (laughs) And then Daniel Stern plays an older version of Fred Savage on the Wonder Years. And you've got the mom who a few years later would play Ben Savage's mom in another movie. So it just feels very uh, insular like that. She was his mom in this movie that nobody's seen except for me. It's called Big Girls Don't Cry, They Get Even. That's it. That's the movie. I just I just remembered about this movie the other day. I'd forgotten about it for 30 years. And then it, I was, I was going through somebody's IMDb credits, and I'm like, "Holy shit, that movie!" I've, I'd completely forgotten about it. I've never seen that movie, but the reason that I will never forget it is because I watched the shit out of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles VHS tape, and they had the kit, trailer. And that and was it was the, called something was else. The, yeah, that was the trailer was called, that played before it. It had a different name though. The trailer was under its other title. Yeah. Um, what was it? Thank you for unlocking another memory. Yeah. Thank mm-hmm. you. What was the original title? I, I, Not that it has anything to do with the. Uh, I don't remember, monsters. but I, I just because I remember the trailer ended with the lead actress talking to the cameras, like, "Do you know by the year two thousand one, out of every like nine people will be a member of my family?" And that was how the trailer ended. And of course, there was also a, um, I think a, a Pizza Hut commercial on that VHS tape mm-hmm. as well. The I lyrics, I, the lyrics of which I could probably still sing. I uh, is it the one about Redfield? Yes. Step Step Kids. Yes, what it was originally called. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, I, I can't tell you. I haven't seen Griffin it in Dunn, years. Dan Futterman. Yep. David Strathairn. A- Adrian Shelley, who I didn't realize, like, yeah, was murdered, but it was covered up or it was they, the person who murdered her covered, tried to make it look as though she was a suicide. Like, holy fuck, like horrendously tragic. Also, Ginny, Ginny Lewis um, from mm-hmm. well, from The Wizard and also from the band Rilo Kylie. She is <laughs> a big deal these days. It's a singer. She really is. She's got uh, Rilo Kylie and she's got a band called uh, like the Ginny Lewis Twins or something. She's got a couple different bands. She's real big in the indie scene. Like that's what right she on. does now. She's not even an actress anymore. Wow, good for her. Yeah. yeah okay. Check out some Rilo Kylie. It's the shit. Fair enough. All right. Well, let's yeah, let's take a take a crack at the at the box office here. Um, Jim, how pressing is your out? 
Uh, like five minutes. Okay. Um, and we might, we might vamp a little and do, do a couple more things after, after, but I want to make sure we at least get to the meat of what we normally get to before we, we have to let you go. Um, little monsters opens August 25th, 1989 does not even open in the top 12. As I mentioned, um, in fact, the, the, the highest growth or the highest ranking new movie out this week is number nine. It's a movie called the package. Uh, what if there was a package, I guess, um, <laughs> in number one, uh, retaining number one, speaking of John Hughes, uncle buck. Oh, sure. Um, in second place in its fourth weekend, parenthood, the Steve Martin film movie. parenthood. Love it. I love that movie too. <laughs> so I've never seen it. So you, that's so a damn good. shame. Watch it right now, Steven. We'll, we'll finish this up. Go watch it. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you want to talk about a dynamite cast that mm-hmm. like, Oh, an man. ensemble as fuck. Keanu's mm. in that one too, right? That's another like Keanu yeah. film. Yeah. Keanu. As <laughs> I brought this River camera. Thing. I brought this camera so we can document, document our, our love. love. <laughs> oh no! And, our, and he of uh, course oh, is doing the the Ted Logan uh, hand on the heart. He's um, the girl he's dating is what's her nuts from Two Hundred Cigarettes as well. Martha Plimpton. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I do love Martha Plimpton. Goonies own Martha Plimpton. It's, it's actually it's a baby Joaquin Phoenix who's in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, little Joaquin. And yeah. his special videotapes. Mm-hmm. No spoilers, Stephen. I won't tell you. All right. Well, he was Leaf back then, I think. Yeah, yeah he's credited as Leaf yeah. Phoenix. Or, or was it Leaf or Rain? He's Leaf. Okay. He One was of them is Leaf. Rain. Now he's Joaquin. Joaquin. And when it's cold outside, he puts on his Joaquin J- jacket. Because no, we got it. Joaquin jacket. <laughs> okay i'm just i'm just confused as to why you're not like dying of laughter right now like, i usually laugh at funny confused. things that, that might be why um <laughs> uh, in third place jimmy cameron's uh one flop the abyss oh movie still haven't flop? seen uh it, i thought people com- love that movie compared to all his other movies yes that's his flop um did not do nearly as well as all you know it still of course you know makes a lot of money but by jim cameron you know yeah of course not not as well not as well in fourth place when harry met sally uh in fifth place lethal weapon 2 uh one of the movies that um loaded weapon 1 is parodying bringing it all back to loaded weapon Mm -hmm. rounding out the top 10 in sixth place turner and hooch in seventh place casualties of war in eighth place still holding steady after 10 weeks in theaters grossing 231 0.4 0.4 million dollars in 10 weeks it's the highest grossing film of 1989 tim burton's batman get on with it sorry <laughs> just like <laughs> 10 minutes not telling us what it is Jeez, gotta build that tension uh, bitches uh in wolf. ninth place the package and in 10th place uh honey i shrunk the kids which has been out exactly as much time as batman and has earned over a hundred uh thousand dollars less um, like I said, this movie grosses uh, $542,000 domestic. Um, the Tomatometer score on this one is a 44. Um, mm. So not uh, not particularly well liked by critics, although the audience is ranked a little higher at 62. No Metascore to speak of as only one critic has reviewed this movie, but the Letterboxd ranking is a 2.9. Gentlemen, out of a possible five stars, how are we ranking... 1989's Little Monsters. Jim, as our guest, we'll let you go first. I'm going to say 2.9 sounds about right. I'd probably, you know, round it up to three. Um, this this is a this is a movie that if I was logging on Letterboxd, it would be a three out of five. It'd be like, this is imaginative. It's entertaining. Um, 
but it's slight. I mean, there's, you know, there's not, there's not a lot to it. Um, you know, with that mixture, it is one of those weird 80s movies where it's like, this is geared for kids, but it's also, there's a lot of stuff which is kind of like weird for kids. So who is this actually like appealing to? Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it's, it's unique. It's, it's a fun idea. Um, It's a movie, like I said, that has kind of a, a mythology built around like, yeah, people put work into this and I, I appreciate that. I mean, even just like the the practical effects, the makeup work, like the puppetry, like the costuming, like there's 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 a lot to actually like really admire about this movie. But no, it's not. It's, it, it wouldn't be like, wow, this movie blew my mind. Like it, it wasn't a formative movie for me either. So I'd say three out of five is is probably where I'd land. All right, fair enough, Tucker. What about you? Uh, well, it did blow my mind when I was like 11 years old. So 11 <laughs> 11-year-old Tucker gives it a like a 7 out of 5. Yeah, and 40-year-old Tucker gives it a 3 because I'm really surprised at how well it holds up. I mean, like I said, it doesn't it only about 60%, but that's more than I was expecting, honestly. And there are definitely some things that do not work for me, but there's enough that does and those effects are amazing and I think overall the performances, even if I don't specifically care too much for the character of Maurice. I think Howie Mandel created a character and he did a very good job representing that character. And I think everybody in the cast does really great in this movie. So yeah, that's a solid three. Right on. It's a two and a half for me. Um, like, yeah, I, like I said, I never engaged with this. Didn't quite know what to expect. Again, just heard it was bad. And I was like, I mean, it's not great, but it's far from the worst thing I've ever seen. Now it, the fact that it takes the central conflict of the movie over an hour to arrive at <laughs> maybe an issue. Yeah. And then that leaves us like a half an hour to resolve everything. So the ending feels very rushed. So that's, I mean, this movie feels like one that the studios tampered with. Like it feels like one that got fucked with a lot. Um, and so what, what you end up getting left with isn't, isn't really structurally great but the visuals are great like i said the world building is unimpeachable like i absolutely love it um but yeah that is uh our talk about little monsters jim we know you got to run but we do need you to to, first of all thank you for joining us it's been way too long we need to do it again very soon um but tell us about cast of cthulhu tell us where we can find you what what's going on just kind of um unload man plug yeah, so the the cast of Cthulhu is the podcast that I do with uh, James McCormick, who has been on this show before. We review um, direct and spiritual adaptations of the works of H.P. Lovecraft. We were on hiatus um, after October of last year because I my wife gave birth to my son on November 7th, so we kind of took the rest of the year off. We came back in January, um, but because I haven't really worked out this whole how to do stuff with a baby and a new job, February is, is kind of a, a barren wasteland, so we're probably going to get back to it in March. But January, at least, we did um, the two adaptation or Lovecraft adaptations from uh, Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities on Netflix, which is Pickman's Model and um, Dreams in the Witch House. Uh, those are fun episodes because in real time, David Baxter, Battle of Pretension, and James talked me out of thinking that Dreams in the Witch House was a good episode at the start of it. I liked it by the end of it. It's not a good episode wow um, but so you, you certainly listen to that um yeah i mean we're on podbean so cast of cthulhu.podbean.com um we have a facebook page but we're not gonna we haven't really done anything on it in fact i'm probably gonna get rid of it because what's the point um but cast cthulhu on twitter 
And I am Nolan Fixes Teeth on Twitter as well. Um, before I leave, one final thing that I was actually doing at the beginning of this, which I want to do now. So Lupita Nyong'o, um, Little Monsters 2019 starring Lupita Nyong'o, who is also in The Jungle Book with Ben Kingsley, who was in The Departed with, or I'm um, sorry, Shutter Island with Leonardo DiCaprio, who was in The Departed with Jack Nicholson, who was in The Last Tycoon with Robert De Niro, who was in Casino with Joe Pesci, who was in Home Alone with Daniel Stern, who was in Little Monsters with Fred Savage, is how this whole universe connects <laughs> to each other. So Nice. Um, That's amazing. Bravo. Yeah, there, well done. There was maybe a more direct way to get there, especially with um, the Jungle Book and all the stars that are in that one, but that's what I arrived at. So um, that's what I leave you, you gentlemen with. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Um, yeah, you guys have a good night. And um, thanks for a lot for having me. This is this is always this is always a lot. Of, like I said, if you do hook, please, 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 I, I'm putting it out there now. Like this, putting I, putting you on the list, man. It's on the schedule because we need to talk about it. Yeah, Tucker. If if Tucker gets a movie that like just kind of like sticks in his craw, he like mandates that we cover it as soon as possible. It usually takes about a month of me bitching about it, and then eventually Steven's like, "All right, we'll do it in a month. Shut up." But here's the thing: he doesn't <laughs> stop bitching about it. I don't, like there I is, there is no upper threshold on Tucker's lo- ability to bitch. So <laughs> he 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 knows he can wear me down, and he does. So there it is. Right. But yeah, we'll we'll get you on here sooner than later. Thanks so much, Jim. All right. Do we have any other thoughts that we want to? We never did get to the the plot in sixty. Do is there any other anything else that we want to cover? Uh, I don't I don't think so. I mean, I said everything I needed to say about it. I mean, the plot's pretty simple. There's monsters and, you know, well, I think we discussed the plot just kind of out of order. So I think yeah, we, we did. I mean, look here, let, let's just put an unofficial 60 seconds on the clock. Oh, shoot. We'll, are you going to do it? I'll just run it. Yeah, I'll just run it for, you know, because look, people are going to people are going to notice they're going to ask questions. We look, we had a guest with a time crunch. He, he had, he had somewhere, he had a heart out. We actually pushed the heart out. So we, we right. just, just a very streamlined episode of disenfranchised. It never happens. Are you ready? I'm about to start your timer. All right. Um, yeah, let's do it. Your time. It starts all right now. Fred Savage is a kid. He's in Boston. Um, his brother's complaining. There's monsters under the bed. Turns out there are and how it's Howie Mandel. And, uh, there's a whole world of monsters under the bed, and uh, there's a, a weird um, monster named Snick, played by the great Rick DeCommon. Uh, And then there's another one named Boy, who's like actually a creepy-looking schoolboy who can rip his face off and shit. Anyway, if he stays underground for too long, he can like be he he has to stay a monster forever, um, and he starts to become one. But then they kill they steal his brother so that he will come down and join seconds. them. Um, and so he has to get his brother's friend, uh, the girl that he likes in his class, who's not his girlfriend, but just a friend really like that. They didn't attempt to kind of push us, uh, a romantic relationship there. That was classy. Um, and the, the, the rest of them go down to, to free him. They do, they make it out, uh, but they end up in, in seconds, uh, at the end of the movie instead. And, and boy, and, um, and snick get lit to death and we're done. And that is time. I remember now what it was. There was one more thing I wanted to say. Um, like a lot Columbo of movies, in, like a lot of like a lot of movies in the kids' movies in the eighties, all of these childrens have degrees in advanced mechanical engineering. Mm-hmm. Yes, like Fred Savage. Holy, I don't even know how most of that stuff works. 
He's like but, using gears and springs and and hinges, and I'm like, damn, they really covered simple machines at his school. This kid is on fire. And and but it's like the girl asks, like, why why do you always get F's in science? Like it doesn't make sense. Like she calls it out. Like it's it's an incongruity in these movies. Like um, River Phoenix's character, speaking of the Phoenixes in Explorers, is very much the same way. Mm-hmm. Like he's like the little science kid who builds a rocket ship out of like trash. Um, but like data in the Goonies, who's got data in the Goonies, weird, yeah. Like and Kevin McAllister kids. is, uh, you've even got like Gosh. Marty McFly's or Do- the Doc Brown, um, it was not a kid, but the Doc Brown kind of conveyor belt breakfast thing at the mm-hmm. beginning of Back to the Future. Um, and Kevin McAllister from Home Alone is kind of the the logical conclusion of that, which is, I think, in, in many ways, why Home Alone is the end of the 80s kid movie and the beginning of the 90s kid movie. Like, mm-hmm. after that, it becomes kids versus adults in a much more, instead of, like, kids in high concept, like, fiction, um, like, kids in genre fiction, like, monsters and gremlins and pirates and shit, it becomes kids versus adults. So it's, like, Home Alone, getting even with dad, um man of the house it's like generational shit where you jungle to jungle jungle to jungle um yes all of that complete nonsense and that's what kids movies become in the 90s uh and it feels like a direct response to home alone which is really taking it's really john hughes looking at all the kids movies and kind of taking the stuff he liked and merging it with his own sensibility and then leaving behind everything he didn't like from that era and this feels like kind of the last bastion of that era. This movie just kind of feels like one last hurrah for that kind of kid movie before we move on into something completely different in the nineties. Agreed. Couldn't have said it better myself, Steven. I'm sure you could have. Nah, you're an, you're an insightful dude. Don't, don't sell yourself no. short. <laughs> well, I'm just saying that I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that to say that I agree with you to the letter on that description. Right on. Right on. We are well, synchronized in our opinion. Sync it up. Simpatico. Uh, and that's been our episode on Little Monsters. This is a, it's a quick one. We, uh, we we got in and out on this one. And that's that's okay. We, we don't have a lot of quick episodes these days. Uh, not these days, but I got to tell you, back in the day, it was it was kind of rare that things would go over an hour. Like, we were, like, probably the first year and a half of this podcast, it was... 45 55 minutes an episode our shortest episode i think is just a little over 35 minutes and it's because my audio it was our lead of battle angel episode my audio kept crapping out um like my audio kept cutting out and brett was like i can't hear you i can't hear and i'm just like fine next time you can hear me we just finish this um (laughs) but like that was the kind of stuff that plagued us in the early days that doesn't plague us as much anymore um but i mean now that we've got three co-hosts and and you know we're we're all friends and we love to debate and argue and bitch at each other that that's kind of what happens but you know you you come in with you know just a quick and dirty little movie and there's there's not a lot of of stuff to research on this one this is Mm -hmm. kind of one of those movies that's been largely forgotten like like jim said it's the cultural footprint on this is so small yet for a specific group of people, like a very niche group of people like this movie still rings some nostalgia bells for sure. I wonder if, uh, um, that Blu-ray that came out, um, that was a shot factory one, right? Yeah. They're doing, um, it's, uh, they're doing like a Vestron series, like celebrating the movies of Vestron. And I'm just wondering if there's a commentary on that, because if there is, I mean, I, 
I don't know if I, I, mean, I might just buy it for the commentary, depending on how long it is. Yeah, I th- if there's not a commentary, there's probably got to be some spe- some like behind the scenes featurette. Like I think that's where the the Howie Mandel uh, interview that I read came from, like a, a special feature from there, like him talking about the make- makeup and stuff. So, mm-hmm. but well, yeah, like I don't know. Uh, this movie is uh, is not streaming anywhere, which feels really weird. You can rent it. Um, I rented it through YouTube myself. So me um, too. You can you can rent it and watch it and um, yeah there you go it little little monsters and Rick Dukumin I just want to talk can I talk Rick Dukumin a little bit because I think please that do. guy is fucking incredible please, um, please, I, please. he just shows up in shit and I every time he shows up I'm always surprised that he's in it that he's showing up but like he his last movie was 2004 he passed away in 2015. Um, but like Canadian actor who just shows up and stuff like he is Cindy's dad in the original scary movie. Um, mm-hmm. He's in, he's apparently in a, a couple of Polly Shore movies, jury duty. Uh, Polly Shore is dead. Um, he's in like, he's got like tiny roles in like loaded weapon one uh, last action hero movies. We've covered on this podcast. He's the chauffeur in the, the 94 Disney film blank check. Um, he's got a small role in groundhog day. Uh, he's the security guard in my favorite. Small. He, he was one of the guys at the bar. Do you remember? He was before oh, he is, isn't he? Well, yeah. I mean, that's not a huge but, role. They though, draw, but, yeah. it, there's, it's like a five minute scene and he pretty much stars in it. So he's not in the whole movie, but I think he's, yeah. he's a big part of it for a it's, little bit. He's, he's a, he's, he's a, it's a big part in a, it's, it's a, big small role lead supporting mm-hmm. i don't know um he's in in he's the teacher in encino man another movie we've covered he's he's the navigator in hunt for red october he's in the burbs like he's in fucking die hard and space balls and he's on an episode of max headroom like the he's guy on an episode of moonlighting that's he enough was. for me like the guy as long as it's works. like pre them hooking up because after that the show just didn't work I mean, that's guy. He's in the last Boy Scout. Speaking of Bruce Willis, like, mm-hmm. like the the guy would just work. And every time, like, he's he's got such small roles in so many things that I like watching. That if I just see him pop up, I'm like, holy shit! I forgot. I literally will forget that Rick Dukeman is in something until I see him. He is not only Snick in this movie, but he is also the host of the the closed circuit or the the short circuit or the. <laughs> The, the local local access mm-hmm. show that he's watching with the woman with the huge cans. With the, yes. <laughs> and he's like got his glasses down, like just staring directly <laughs> at her breasts. Um, that's yeah. also Rick Dukeman. And I was like, tell me he did not get that high building for that. Uh, and then he comes in as Snick later. I was like, oh, okay, that's clearly Rick Dukeman. Okay. Well, I think, I think uh, in movies like this in The Burbs, it makes everything else he does um, – like you said, a lot of his, he just kind of shows up for a little bit in a lot of movies. And it's a damn shame because whenever he does show up like that, I think about how good he is like in the burbs or in this movie where he is a main character. Yeah. Like he, him and Tom Hanks make the burbs. Like yeah. if those two were not in that movie, we wouldn't still be talking about it. I mean, you've still got some other great supporting performances. Like well, that yeah. movie is, is great performances top to bottom. Carrie Fisher. But I think they're the foundation though. Right. Those, without, that relationship, those two characters, that's the foundation of that film. Without the rapport that Hanks and to come and bring 
to that movie, it's it's not as strong. I agree. He just um, comes in and just starts eating all of their food. Like, yeah. He just gets in the fridge and brings out like a whole chicken. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. Uh, I mean, you got Bruce Dern in that movie, Corey Feldman in that movie. Like, <laughs> yeah. Fucking great. I love that movie. Henry Gibson it, in that movie. God. It came with the frame. If you haven't seen The Burbs, go watch The Burbs. Like, go watch I, it right now. Turn this off right now. You don't need to know our socials or anything. Just go watch The Burbs. It's on Netflix right now. You've already you've already downloaded it. You can come back to it later. That's fine. Um, yeah. And hey, speaking of socials, we might as well give you those now. Um, this is the Disenfranchised Podcast. We mentioned up at the top of the show some of the stuff we've got behind the paywall. Uh, unenfranchised, disenfranchised. Uh, we've actually got an episode of Unenfranchised, uh, I think, dropping later this month. Is that... Is that right? Um, I think we're recording it tomorrow, aren't we? we? As of the recording of this episode, we are recording it tomorrow. I need to watch that movie tonight. That's the thing I need to do. Um, so, but it's uh, behind the paywall. We're doing our Resident Evil month. So we've already got our two and a half hour Oops All Video Game Corner episode on the Resident Evil franchise for the $5 and up patrons. At the $3 level, we have a brand new episode of Unenfranchised on Resident Evil, the final chapter the 2016 or 17 movie um, haven't gotten a clear indicator on that, uh, but we'll be talking about that uh, behind the paywall there at the $3 level, uh, patreon.com slash pod and plus hours of other content back there as well. Just anything that kind of strikes our fancy or relates to something we've done on the main feed in the past, you might find there. Oops, all Christianity corner, oops, all video game corner, uh, whatever the name of this show that Tucker has been taunting us with for months behind the I think, behind the scenes is going to be. I think we're going to go. I, I think Brett suggested Tuckered out, and that I, is, I, that's not I, a bad I quite one. enjoy that because that's some that's he thinks he's the first person to think of that. No, but I I've been hearing that my whole life. It's that and talk to Tucker. Yeah, um, that I can't get away from. So I think it would be perfect. Either of those actually would be perfect. What, what if we just called it Talk to Tucker colon all Tuckered out? <laughs> yes deluxe special edition turbo right right three alpha um collector's edition collector's edition absolutely uh and we've got some uh we've got some exciting stuff behind the paywall coming in in the months to come as well so if you're not a patron already disenfranchised uh patreon.com slash disenfranchpod you can join it at the three or five dollar level we've got a ton of content back there for you at whatever level you subscribe at so Go ahead and check that out. Uh, you can shoot us an email, disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know if there's uh, anything you would like to see us cover, any guests you want us to have back, or uh, just want to say hi and introduce yourself. We would love to hear from you, and we might read your email here on the podcast as well. Um, you can find us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Facebook at disenfranchpod. Uh, I'm your host, Stephen Foxworthy. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Chewy Walrus, although I'm not sure how much longer I'm going to be on Twitter because honestly, that uh, they're getting rid of uh, multi-factor authentication, which means that security is just going to go down the toilet. So I'll probably end up deleting my account here or there very shortly. I also heard that they got rid of like whatever the news feed thing is. I don't yeah. use Twitter, so I don't know. But a friend it's, of mine said that Twitter sucks now because the news feed thing is gone. It's been it's been going down the hill. Uh, like Elon seems to be doing whatever he can to just completely destroy that platform, um, because I don't think he understands that social media is not really monetizable. And in attempting to monetize it, he's literally undoing it. Um, I don't think he understands a lot about anything. Yeah, I think except that's how accurate. to throw money at things. Yeah. 
That's that is that is his gift. That's his super. He didn't. He did not deserve his Iron Man cameo. He didn't. I don't think he's deserved any of his cameos in anything. Quite frankly, um, dude just wants to be famous. Um, that's that's all. He could he could save the world. He's not interested in that. He's he just wants to be famous. So yeah, he's he's an asshole. Is is yeah. it's what we call that where I come from. Um, Brett is not here, but he's usually on uh, Instagram and letterboxd at sus underscore warlock. If you want to find him, Tucker, what about you? Where can we find you on socials these days? Uh, I'm on YouTube at youtube.com slash ice nine Oh nine. That's I C E N I N E the number zero and the number nine. And that is our episode on 1989's little monsters. Um, I'm your host, Stephen Foxworthy for the absent Brett, Wright, The present, uh, Tucker and our presently absent special guest, Jim Rohner. Um, I'm again, your host. And until next time where there's a bed, there's a way, bud, bud. He's like Beetlejuice. He really is. It's just Howie Mandel's just channeling Michael Keaton's Beetlejuice in this role. Well, you know, uh, during the interview on the podcast um, that I listened to or watched last week, he said that um, he had not seen Beetlejuice while when they were filming. It might not have even been released by the time that they were filming that movie. Maybe. Because I think Beetlejuice came out in 89 as well, didn't it? 88. 88. So they were probably shooting it when that came out. So I don't know. It gets a lot of comparisons, but I don't think. I think it's just a, a, a sim- similar performance. I don't think there's any uh, any plagiarism there. It just feels like once you intentional, right? It just feels like once you've seen Beetlejuice, like you know what this character is, and it, yep. it it feels intentional even if it's not. I I would buy that it's not, but it certainly feels that way. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, bye. Bye. <laughs>